The views and opinions expressed by guests on the TWBC podcast are solely those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views of nor constitute an endorsement by the host, TWBC, or the advertisers. National Championships, Confederation Championships, World Championships, Major Professional Events. For over three decades, he has been there for many of the sport's greatest moments. And now he brings you even closer to the movers and shakers in the world of high echelon tournament water skiing. From the founder and creator of the Water Ski Broadcasting Company comes the TWBC Podcast. And now here's your host, Tony Lightfoot. Greetings, friends. Welcome to the TWBC Podcast, and thank you once again for listening. This is the continuation of the face-to-face interview I conducted with Freddy Krueger, and in this episode, we continue to go through the list of quote-unquote activities that both he and the folks he trained with used to get up to to blow off steam. And there was certainly plenty enough to go around at the time that he was training in Louisiana, that much I can tell you. There's also plenty of other stuff to talk about as well, but we'll get to that too. Enjoy this episode, and I will talk with you at the end. Take care. Okay, weenie jumping. Uh, that was JD Wiswall's fault. Um, JD was here, uh, nicknamed Turbo. He did something that aggravated Jay. Uh, it was on a Friday, and all the students had left. I can neither confirm nor deny that there were daiquiris involved. But uh, Jay put JD Wiswall on a banana tube, right? Like so, it's it's one of those big yellow long you know bananas yeah. uh that'll hold like five or six people on it right and, and we put jd on it and jay would i think he had like a 90 foot rope or 100 foot rope and he would go around the ramp and then chris sullivan would lift lift the rope up over the ramp and set it on the top of the surface and jay would floor it and basically jd was told you know under no circumstances are you to ever let go and he would hang and i'm telling you he would i've never seen a human being take the abuse that that man took trying to hang on from this week <laughs> well inevitably then it turned into well if it started out as a punishment that ended up looking like fun so then we were all trying it well if one guy is having fun let's try it with five and uh we ended up breaking a couple noses i i will i'll leave it at that but it was um it was a lot of fun until it wasn't not quite as much fun was the anger ramp on Lake Two, the uh, that little slope right by the dock. Uh, what was the purpose for having that in place? So that was we had rebuilt a surface um, on the ramp, and so we had when we pulled off the old chunk that was uh, what would it have been? It had been eight feet long or eighteen feet, yeah, eighteen eight long, fourteen feet wide, and Jay pulled that up on the levee near the lake to dock and then and the idea was um <laughs> jay you were not allowed under any circumstances to throw a fit as a staff member about your skiing or get angry or you know lose your mind around the students so the idea was if you had an awful set you were going to ski up this ramp across the top of the levee down the back side of the dam to the rear entrance of the staff house at which point in time you would step out of your skis and go through that back door 
and go make your scene where nobody could see it. And um, I never, <laughs> I honestly, I don't, I tried it. I skied down it, but I never used it in a, a fit of anger. But there were, J.D. Wiswald did it a lot. I mean, that man, he wore that grass out. He had some down. issues. Yeah. Um, Brian Swenson, Mike Keith, I know all those guys did it some. Um, but yeah, so you, there were actually, you would walk in that door and there would be holes in the wall back to guys' rooms where they were just, you know. But again, you know, you talk about that time. Uh, I, I don't mean to get lost in the weeds here but we were there were eight or nine of us uh when i was here in 95 that were i mean we were skiing on the pro tour so every single day in practice was like a preliminary round at a pro tour you showed up on when we showed up on friday at the pro tour the same guys that we were getting ready to go out on the dock against were the same guys we were practicing against every day and um and i actually think that that was one of the reasons i succeeded was when i came in as good as I thought I was, I knew the guys that were already here. They knew more. They had better equipment. They were, you know, bigger names than I was. So I started out at, you know, in the mailroom, if you will, right? Like I started out at the bottom of that list. And then my job was to just try to pick them off one at a time and then get to where, you know, maybe I could be known as, hey, the best guy in the group or whatever. Um, but it was that intense nature jay never squashed it he always i i don't want to say he relished it but he encouraged it because he knew it was making all of us better and you know we didn't always all get along you know there's a lot of egos and personalities in that room down there but he again the the psychology of it he knew we were better to to fight out of it than we were to be squashed so you know again credit there Okay, one of those, okay, and I'm guessing on a few of those occasions uh, you came into shore, you tried to get your equipment off. One of the most difficult pieces of equipment that you've had to try and derobe from was the very first instance of a speed suit. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so there was a guy out of, I believe he's out of California, his name was Richard Lanningham, and he made, I don't want to say it was the first speed suit, um, but it was, it was maybe the first one, it was definitely the first one I had ever come aware of. And it was, a, uh, you know, they were, they came in one color, they were all white and Bruce Neville was using one. Um, Scott Ellis, of course, had one and um, I had gotten one and they were expensive at the time. I think Duval was trying one at the time. Duval would have been in one for sure. Yeah. So, um, but these things, they, they're not like the speed suits we have today. I mean, these things were like getting sucked into a plastic bag that wouldn't bend. They were, they were tight. They were not flexible. Um, and you, you know, you had to have, I mean, hell it'd take two or three people to get you in and out of one. And, um, so we were, and I mean, you know, here, we, I mean, they were hot. They didn't breathe. They were actually illegal on snow ski slopes because if you fell down, you, there was no friction. You didn't stop you until you hit something at the bottom of the hill, you weren't stopping. And so, uh, you, you know, we're here, it's August, it's 110, the water's 95 and you're in these suits. And uh, I was telling a story the other night that uh, I, again, not to throw a fit in front of students, I was on Lake One, skied poorly, passed, skied about halfway across on my skis, the, the levee between Lake One and Two, threw all of my equipment out into Lake Two, swam to the other side of Lake Two, which was not easy because those suits had no friction, and went off into the trees to, to throw my fit. and. You know, by the, by the time I came out, I started realizing, oh, my God, I'm going to pass out from dehydration oh inside this word. suit. 
So just getting back to the dock before I could, you know, actually pass out was a feat in itself. But yeah, those those suits were, um, you know, they were changing the sport. But man, are they archaic from what we have today? Yeah, indeed. And I mean, jumping as good a jumper as you are and still continue to be, uh, you actually tried your hand at another event in the professional tour level wakeboarding tell us your experience with that and what kind of lifestyle changes you had to make to to kind of attempt to fit in with the with the wakeboarders so yeah you know it's funny when i was a kid i rode a wakeboard a guy i you know at that time i could probably do two or three flips on a trick ski and a guy brought a wakeboard down and handed it to me and said hey there's this new sport you know i want you to try it and i went out and i did two or three flips on the on the wakeboard different different kinds and when I was done, I gave it back to him and I said, this will never take off. It's too easy. You know, like, I, but I didn't, I had no comprehension that obviously there were where the sport was going. I also had no comprehension and I don't think the sport would have taken off like it did if we just did it behind little ski boats with little bitty wakes there. Cause there wasn't much you could do on it behind the little wakes besides flips you know you could jump up and do a grab but it was it was only going to go so far obviously as you see that sport progress we've seen how much the boats have progressed for their opportunity right so mm -hmm. i was obviously wrong by a mile but i wasn't completely wrong at the time but um in the to fast forward then into the late uh late 90s probably about 98 uh we had a young man here ryan Wynn. uh he was a live-in student going to high school at uh, yeah. zachary louisiana and he was starting to wakeboard professionally, um, playing around with it. Um, he he and Tara Hamilton have since married, have kids. He had uh, met her, and I think she was kind of drawing him into the sport. So I started playing with him, doing it as well. Picked up on it fairly quick and started skiing some of the tour stops in 98. And um, around that 99-2000 season, uh, there were eight U.S. Pro Tour stops. I made six of the eight finals. I finished mid, you know, like seventh or eighth on the pro tour standings. I think I don't, don't quote me on that. Finished third at a world championships, you know, won a Moomba masters, uh, beat my, you know, I hate to say this. I, I don't want to, you know, any, anybody, cause I'd hate if somebody said it to me about jumping, but Darren Shapiro was there and that was kind of a big deal to take down somebody like Darren. Um, but I did, you know, I did do a lot of it. I was, I felt like there was an opportunity. I could see the sport financially. I felt like, Hey, there's a lot more money in this side of the sport and I can, I'm going to go get me some of that. Um, what I found was resistance in the sport at that time. They, there were a lot of guys, a lot of part of the industry that didn't love the fact that skiers were trying to come over, move over into that, into that realm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you had guys like, you know, Sean Murray, even, a, even a Scott Byerly who they were introduced to the sport skiing first and then became wakeboarders. Um, Jeremy Kovac. I mean, there were so many of oh, the yeah. really good guys that came from skiing, but the fact that I was on tour skiing and then trying to make the switch, um, whether it was paranoia or reality to me, it definitely felt real. There was resistance there. So yeah, I, I tried changing my look and, you know, baggier shorts and I got earrings and was trying to fit in and, and, and make that adjustment, if you will. So I would, I would literally go out and jump, come in, rip out of my gear, you know, put on my shorts, throw in my earrings, grab my wakeboard stuff and go because I, when I made the finals, I was typically out pretty early. But um, it was a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot, but I also figured out very quickly that I was abusing my body in two very distinct and different ways. And 
I also figured out I'm not going to last that long at either one of these. I'm going to have to choose. And that happened to be about the time the tours were splitting. Yeah. And, you know, I was I've always been a jumper at heart. So that was that was an easy choice. Okay, you mentioned earlier about your slight prowess in basketball. (laughs) Okay, tell us a little bit more about that because I mean, you're not exactly six foot something, but you you had you had like spring like legs and could could excel from that. Yeah, and I and I don't, I know I worked extremely hard at my vertical jump I because I, I, I love to play basketball and and I was little I was extremely little when I started high school I was uh, 4'11 and I weighed 78 pounds and you know I made that basketball team because I was quick and I hustled and I you know I could learn the playbook and stuff like that but I I mean the reality was is as in you know as good as I may or may not have been as basketball I mean I struggled just to make my varsity basketball team I actually ended up playing church ball because I could get more playing time. Yeah. So um, I was a, you know, an intermediate basketball player at best, but I could jump and I, I spent a tremendous amount of time learning how to use my body to, you know, not just, I wasn't just a natural jumper, but I learned how to use, you know, when I jumped off my left leg, I was using my, the swing of my right leg and the swing of my arms to create extra momentum to help me get that little extra inch or whatever. And I got to a point where, um, you know, I couldn't palm a ball, but I could throw it up, let it bounce. And it, if I, if it landed perfectly just up in front of the rim, I could jump high enough to, to jump and, and dunk a basketball. So, um, that was a long time ago, but there was a time. What was your record against Ben Favre? Oh, I, it was probably 51 49 in favor of Ben. Um, <laughs> And, and, and it, I, it absolutely kills me to admit that um, he was a, a better all-around basketball player, but much better, you know, dribbler, rebounder. He's a taller guy, had a better shot. Um, but man, we had. He was. He was. I'd love to say that he was more competitive than I was, but he was as competitive as I was. And I mean, we would go to town. Um, and you know, that was always fun when the college kids came in town. We had aggressive you know, games and, you know, sometimes there were scuffles and stuff like that. But, you know, again, it was a culture here at that time, right or wrong. Uh, you know, I don't want not necessarily encouraging my kids to, to be that way, but, um, there was a lot of testosterone here and, you know, again, a credit to Jay, he never squashed that. He let us be young men. We're going to circle back to your kids in just a, in just a short while, (laughs) but this season's a little empty, isn't it? I mean, right from right from the get-go, in March you expected the. There's always the expectation that the Moon Master is going to come round. It's going to be a litmus test for how you for how your season's going to go. I don't know whether you particularly agree with that, but it is it is one of the major events. Didn't quite happen this year. Where, where, where do you kind of go from here with like the Masters being the first tournament? Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to have the, there's the Masters uh, qualifying series that, um, you know, if you weren't the last Masters champion, you're, you, you've got to Do you need go any of those tournaments? Pardon? Do you need any of those yeah, tournaments? You yeah. do? Yeah, because Dodd won the last one, so um, I have to, I've got to go and qualify. Um, That's going to be a strange feeling, isn't it? That having to qualify for the Masters. Well, I mean, it's, it's, is it different? Yes, but I mean, is it, um, you know, is it? I, I have mixed emotions. I appreciate, I don't have a different answer 
you know, for how they've chosen to do it. You know, I, I appreciate that there's there's three opportunities and, and, you know, it's not an all or nothing at the same time. Um, you know, if we're if we're looking at this from a, a profession, there's going to be a, a, a large outflow of money to just to be able to go to the masters. Right. You know, it's a, but again, I don't have a better answer for him. I, I, I know the, the the people that were on that committee were trying to do 100 percent. You know, they're trying to do what's best for the sport, for you know, correct craft for the U S masters for, you know, for everybody involved. And, you know, they've, they made the decisions they've made and, and, and quite honestly, I'm fine with it partly because of what you're saying. We, I don't, we didn't have a ton of events last year. We didn't have a Moomba masters this year. So honestly having a couple of those tournaments to kind of get you geared up and get your, get you in gear and going, not the end of the world. Right. So, um, I, if I can qualify early, I probably won't do the later ones, but, um, but again, it, it'll be a, a litmus test to know here's where I am. Here's where I've got to be in two, three weeks, whatever, as, as we roll to the masters, you know, and then from there, I think um, I'm encouraged, honestly, with, with the vaccinations going as, as, as well as they are. Obviously, I'm not that encouraged about what's happening in Europe. South America is having some struggles. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't, I don't think we know. Um, but a, a, for better or for worse, you know, when you look at, for us in the U.S., uh, going into August, you know, we're going to start with our regional championships, which you mentioned, my boys. I'm going to be at those. I'm going to be at the U.S. Nationals. We're going to roll right from that to a, what really is a very full September and October. Oh, yeah. So June may be a little dry. You know, I'm not sure yet what July is going to hold. Um, but there's there's events out there. We're, we're not going to open the floodgates, but we're going to we're going to get rolling again. Yes, indeed. And I mean, I mean, you're talking primarily about jumping and there seems to be a lot of uh, emphasis being placed upon slalom skiing and getting that rolling again uh, or continuing to roll on a professional level. So, I mean, comparing that event slalom to jumping, how does how does jumping hold up in an increasingly slalom centric world of professional professional skiing? How, how, how does it stand today? Um, you know, I mean, I think, um, I think, I think things cycle. I've always said that I, even events outside of, uh, the Moomba masters and the U S masters, which have obviously, you know, been around for 50 plus years. If you look at the life expectancy of, of a pro event from a mark, if you use it as a marketing tool, typically it's got a three to four year lifespan, right? You know? Um, after three or four years, the, the effort that goes in or the, or the marketing return on that investment starts to dwindle and they'll take a break, right? Then three or four years go by and then that one kind of comes back. And so, so stuff kind of cycles. And I think too, as the, you know, it's, there's a lot of changes that are being made in the, in the sport now. Um, you know, and I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to refer to it as, you know, Oh, Freddie winners list, but the work of that he and, uh, Manon and Vincent and um, uh, Mateo, these guys are doing on the new, uh, I don't, don't want to call it the elite list, but a, a pro list that they're trying to, to work through and go through. We, you know, I, I'm encouraged that the, the pro slalom events are picking up in Europe and we're going to see more of them in the U.S. And because any anytime we have more events, I don't care what event it is, it, it, wakeboard events, slalom events, trick events, jump events, as we have more events, every, you know, all, what is it? Raising tides, high tides, raise all boats or whatever that expression yeah. is. Right. So 
that's if, if we're going to have more slalom events right now, rock and roll, because as we do that, it, it, it starts momentum and it encourages other people to, well, Hey, I, I love jump events. Let's do a jump event. And, and then the, the momentum will get going again. I think that's, that's important. Okay. Continuing uh, right along. Uh, obviously you can't continue to jump the way that you do the amount of pressure you put in your skis and on your body without staying in, in near perfect shape. So how does how does someone like you that is what is it late 30s uh, or, or early 40s now stay stays in the game shape wise i'd love i'd love to say that the amount you know that i'm i'm in the gym 5 days a week and i'm doing this i'm not going to lie to anybody you know that's not the reality of the world i live so you're in not so not a crossfit fit geek no um you know i Karen and I both, we, I, I say, I would say we eat, you know, pretty well. We're very conscious of, you know, what goes into our, our bodies. Um, I have my Dr. Pepper vice, um, and I have kids that, that like sugar. So there's occasionally candy around stuff like that. But I mean, you know, we're, we're very, uh, conscious of, you know, the meals and, and how we're eating. Um, you know, we have a, a group that we work out with there in Orlando that, you know, they're taking care of. Um, it's been more, I guess I'd say it's more of a mobility type workouts than that, uh, cardio, you know, because again, we're, we're older, keeping our weight where we need to be. And, uh, it's hard. I, I'm not going to lie to you. The amount of time that I spend, you know, working off the water versus it, it's completely swapped. You know, I, I used to spend a lot of time on the water and not that much in the gym and it's, it's switching, but I'm still not able to spend the amount of time I probably need to just because life's in the way, right? Like we have, you know, we, we're working for these other companies and they're doing these things. So, um, we have to be, the, the reality of that question is monitoring and being very aware of how we're feeling, how much rest we're getting, um, and how much training can we do and not tear ourselves down to a point where we we will get injured or whatever and that's you know you're going by gut you know we still deal with injuries and you know just like everybody else but i i wish i had a formula and an answer and you know we're doing the best we can is about all i got so you haven't become like the colonel sanders of uh, of staying in shape and whatever the the secret sauce type deal no you know and it's it was funny because i I was laying in bed last night here. I'm at this clinic and, you know, I'm working with uh, a great group of jumpers. You know, we're not talking about how to stand on their skis. All these guys understand those fundamentals. They've been through Jay's system. So we're getting to, you know, work on the more fun things with, you know, swing and, and how you load and when we load, how do we turn and not load and different concepts like that. And, um, and I started laughing and I'm, I think, I wonder if any of these guys are getting frustrated that I don't have an absolute. This is exactly how you do it. And all you have to do is just this. And if you do just this, you'll go and succeed. And the reason I don't have that is I don't even have that for myself. Because the reality is, is the, the way that I jump today is, is not exactly the same as the way I jumped 20 years ago or even five years ago. Again, you know, when we go back and we talk about the improvements of skis, ropes, uh, ramps, boats, you know, all of the things that are coming in and out. Then you throw in the fact that we're an outdoor sport. There's rollers here this time. They're, they're not there the next time. The, the wind came up. The wind went down. 
there are too many variables that are changing so often to say that this is the absolute way that you have to do it. So as, as I'm working through this clinic, I, you know, I always go back to, Hey, here's the fundamentals that I know, right? Like there's, there's balance on the skis. There's how we're going to use the skis, whether they're Goodman's or D threes or Conley's doesn't matter. Like these are the, the absolutes that we do know. Be, then now we go beyond the absolutes. Now we start getting into the theories. And, and again, my, my theory of jumping is based on direction. Some guys theory is based on load. Those two, they converge and then they separate a little bit, right? Like there's, so there's differences there, but the thing I'm enjoying is that I, the reason I'm still doing this and, and I, this is one of the things I love about Karen is she never ever accepts something as answered and done. It's always a, a new quest, uh, learning more. I, it, no matter how good I'm at something, I can do it better. I, and so she is, I mean, she's like a gerbil in a wheel. I mean, she is constantly looking for a better, a more efficient way to do it. And her quest then rubs off on me. And I'm finding myself at 45, 46 years old. Holy crap. You know, I'm, I'm as excited about trying to figure this out and, and be better and more efficient at it. And I'm here with guys, you know, like John Abel, who's in his sixties and, you know, he's, hell, he's having more fun than I'm having. Right. So like, as we, to me, that's what the day that I think I've got all the answers and this is how you do it. Just, just do this. I'm done. Cause the day that means I stopped learning and now you're taking curiosity and excitement, all those things out. The fun just went with it. So like, that's, you know, but I was laughing saying, man, I wonder if they're going to want their money back because I'm not just telling them this is exactly how you do it. But the response has been great. All right. You mentioned Karen, obviously. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, I mean, I mean, how many years have you been married now? We, well, we got married in 2000. So this will be our we've been 20 years and we're working on 21. Congrats. Thank you. OK. And uh, that and I mean, I don't know if this story is true, but what but I think it was at the Masters uh where you're in the jump final you were kind of a little bit behind the eight ball a little bit so far as having the best distance and i think she gave a signal which kind of looked like the shape of a house wasn't what is that story true or not no not no. as far as i know she, she was just trying to encourage you to get to a certain distance so you could actually get the money to no no no, no. i then there's been jokes about that's actually a, the old jumpers uh, joke is always about the girlfriend or the wife on shore telling the guy to jump later and then they point to their toes because I need new shoes. And so obviously that joke with Karen would have been about the house. But um, no, the uh, with Karen, uh, our, we've always had the same philosophy that, um, the, you know, the, <laughs> the money will take care of itself. It, it, I don't even, you know, I, I need to know how much prize money there's at a tournament to know if I'm going or not. Right. But I don't, I'm not going to sit around and calculate what place I need to get to make or how much of a difference it is between second or third, because I, I'm not having a conversation about getting second or third. I, I came here for one reason. That's to go get first it, or, you know, at least go as far as I can, whatever place I get is, is somewhat irrelevant to what I went out to do. Um, but there are few people that I can think of that have been uh, more perfect 
in terms of a partnership as far as filling a need that I, I have always needed where she's never hesitated to help push me when I needed that. And, and the, the story I told the other night was uh, in 2015 when we were ski flying, uh, Mastercraft dropped off two of these monster ski fly boats. And, and when I went in the boat and I drove it across the lake at 45 mile an hour and I dropped the hammer, there was so much torque on the, the steering wheel, I had to let go of the throttle and grab it with two hands. And I'm ripping across the lake watching the speed go, you know, 51, 52, 53, 54. And I'm running out of lake and I'm trying to kick the throttle loose with, with my knee to get us out of, you know, to get me out of full throttle. And I, when it, it all got done, I remember thinking, holy cow, what have I got myself into? I'm going to kill myself. Then I have to go to my wife and say, you've got to drive me by hand for about three to four weeks while we develop a cruise control system. And oh, by the way, when, when I turn, you just got to start dropping the hammer and no matter what, you've got to give it to me because if you don't, you're going to hurt me. She never hesitated. You know, there was, she, she knew she trusted that I was going to do what I needed to do. And, and I can't think of, of, wives or parents or or just even strangers that you can put in a boat and they're going to be comfortable dropping 600 horsepower as you're flying at that ramp and you know she without her no way would i ever be you know again we talk about you know my time with jay but my time with karen my god i wouldn't be here today Okay, you speak about that uh, that ski flying deal that that set the Guinness World Record of what was that? What was that? I think it was like the the Mastercraft Throwdown event. Yep. I don't know how long ago that was. I think it was about fifteen, two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. Two thousand and fifteen. Uh, I mean, I can I imagine that so far as the most trustworthy hand drivers that you that you know trustworthy in your respect to tow you jumping you could probably reel them off on one hand i mean obviously the first one is your wife yeah but who would you say comes a pretty good second or third so far as the best hand driver well I, you know i think your best the the guys that are really kind of the best known jump drivers uh in the world now honestly if we go through a list you know, there's you know your Will Bush, your Les Todd, uh, Chris Eller, um, who's my guy out of England? I just went blank. Ian uh, Campbell, mm -hmm. right? How about Al Rucker, right here from Louisiana, hand driver? Or Mississippi. Sorry, Mississippi. You're right. He was always here in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Tournament. Yeah, but um, you know those guys, they were they were great. They're great drivers today because they were great hand drivers as well. Um, so you know they understood man and, and i mean my god for people who have never pulled i mean just pull somebody through the course and try to get you know a 1608 or a 1695 or a you know 518 for men's jump let alone all the different styles and and you know what people want and don't want or whatever it was it was unbelievable it was a sport in itself right yeah um but yeah i mean that's i i think the It'll be interesting to see, and we are starting to see it, right? Like we're now getting into a generation of drivers who have never hand driven, yeah, only used cruise. So I think as that generation comes along, it'll be really just interesting to see it develop. I don't know how much ex exposure I'm going to get to it. Um, I, I, I kind of started here a little bit ago when I was talking about what the what the one of the things that excites me is I am seeing younger 
athletes now starting to take more of an ownership role of the of the sport, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we're going to see that with drivers. We're going to we're starting to see that with officials. We're getting some you know some youth in there that, and and that's really where it's got to come from. You can't the sport can't continue to rely on Freddy Krueger to, you know, lead us into the future because I'm not the future. No. I'm not far from being the past, right? It's got to be that young group that's coming up. They've got to be the ones with the ideas. And then, you know, my job theirs is the same as Jay's job was for me, which is, you know, to encourage and, you know, Hey, we've, we've tried that in this way, but you're approaching it a different way or whatever. But, um, you know, so that's, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to, to see that happening, but I, your question about drivers will be interesting over these next couple of years. Indeed, and obviously one of the most significant developments in the sport was zero off. Now, straight up nerd alert coming up right here. Uh, for, for those of you that really want to get clued in so far as zero off is going to... I heard the conversation that you had with the students here at the Mastercraft Clinic. Kind of give us, in layman's terms how zero off works in jumping because i know it and i know you you mentioned there are very few absolutes within the sport but it seems to me that the one of the very few possibly close to the very few is how zero off reacts to what a skier does when they make that final approach to the jump or even preceding it going out wide so this rabbit hole gets deep in a hurry and and so for the sake of our listeners and not taking them down a, a 20 minute story like this ended up being on the 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 uh deck over here the other day the the thing that's neat about so when we when we had perfect pass when a when a pro jumper event started the drivers would go out and if if that 82 meter segment 518 was actual they would go through and they would set the boat up at, at a five two two five two three kind of thing in, in terms of that time so they would intentionally set the boat up a little bit slow so it had some room to swing then as the jump event started you had something in there called an rpm adjust so freddy krueger walks to the dock and he says i want a x right and so they give me an x but as the driver's going down the lake he says you know this guy's not very big he's on those little skis, I'm going to take some RPMs out. So he would reach up to the RPM adjust and he, let's say he took 30 RPMs out. The next guy comes behind me and he's bigger and he asks for an X as well. And that driver says, well, I'm not, I'm going to put those 30 RPMs back in because this guy's bigger. We have immediately got an imbalance. I have an advantage because that 30 RPM adjust was the speed that the boat was actually entering the course at. So 30 RPMs figure roughly three tenths of a mile an hour. I started three tenths of a mile an hour slower. I get the same 518 actual time that he got. That means the boat had to accelerate from lower to the same point. I had more speed swing. So we knew it was an issue with perfect pass. Um, it was actually something that Eric Horton was working on, I think at the time that uh, Andy Mappo got approached by the uh, the group that was essentially creating zero off. Um, they developed a, the G, the first GPS cruise for slalom. Um, they brought me in and asked, you know, can you help us with the jump program? I, I actually signed my first contract with uh, zero off was a three day contract. And um, the three day contract has turned into 14 years. Right. <laughs> but we, um, the, the thing we wanted to do is we actually wanted to protect those bigger skiers 
who were essentially disadvantaged when smaller skiers would get the RPM adjust taken out, but they weren't getting the same pull. So the idea was everybody's going to enter the course at the same speed. Then if we're all starting from the same point and we all get actual or nearly actual times, therefore the speed swing should be fairly similar, right? Like, and that's essentially what we were trying to do to make the event as, as close to fair as we could. Okay. So now add to that, when you did that, again, going back to perfect pass, each letter that you went up was 37 and a half additional RPMs. So if just for round numbers, let's say I picked a, a letter X and let's say that was a, a thousand RPM increase, whether I was early or late or cut hard or didn't cut hard, no matter what happened, the system had no idea where I was. It, we called it a dumb system. It just gave me a thousand RPMs. So when we did the, the zero off, the guys, the, the engineers came up with the ability for the, the boat to know where it was in the course. GPS. GPS, right. So um, so obviously we're not only looking at speed, but we're looking at location. And so they mapped, they took, we probably took 20 men's jumpers and had them jump. And we got an average of where the men's jumpers turned to go to the ramp and, and again just using round numbers it's roughly about 50 meters into that 82 meter segment mm -hmm. so at that point in time when you chose a letter you were choosing an acceleration rate right to the ramp so again from perfect pass standpoints let's just for argument's sake i'm going to get a thousand rpm swing what zero off then knew was if you cut earlier than 50 meters into the course you weren't very late and it would dampen that acceleration rate. Or if you went later, you would increase that acceleration rate because the system knew, Hey, the guy asked for something that, but he's, he's late. He's going to overpower me. Yeah. And so when Andy, when Andy Mapple was working with the zero off group, the, the one thing that he kept bringing up was I want the, the instincts, that manual drivers used to have. He, he wanted more of that manual drive type pull, which is where you hear the engine revving up and down, up and down, right? Uh -huh. So we were doing essentially the same thing in jump where as a jump driver, and I think this may have actually come from Les Todd when they when he was working with the engineers and they introduced this. I don't want to take, it might've been Will Bush, or those guys were involved, but they had the conversation with the engineers that they can see the ramp out of their out of one corner of their eye and then they they see where the the skiers starting to turn and they would know hey freddie's a little early i'm gonna go easy holy cow freddie's late he's gonna hit me hard i'm gonna go more aggressive or carl robert's right wow like he was always late right oh yeah so that instinct they the engineers then figured out how to take what these guys were referring to as that anticipation right and they started building that into the system so there and i mean again i'm just touching the surface with this we could go on for days but there were so many things that were implemented in an effort that whether you're Freddy Krueger or Carl Robert or Ryan Dodd or Kyle Lead, right? That we're going to try to, everybody's going to start from the same starting point. If we, if we get actual times or nearly actual times, those acceleration rates should be appropriate and very, very similar for everybody in the division. And now then the idea is then as you're going around the world, we can go to China, we can go to Russia, we can go and, and this idea that we're going to make the events more similar around the world. Has that happened? I, I believe it, it has. Um, 
there's some discrepancy, obviously, if you go into different parts of the world and they're using propane boats or they're using, yeah. you know, poor fuel in the boat. Now we're, but we're getting outside of parameters that the cruise control can Or brackish water or. Exactly. Yeah. But as far as the, the best that we could do to control what the cruise control can control, um, I think they did an amazing job. Indeed, and, all, and it's also by extension made made jumping safer because obviously if you if you if you have that kind of consistency throughout, then skiers like someone like uh, like Chewy back here, yeah, you know who's who's trying to develop into a world class athlete. I mean, he has to have some kind of point of reference and have a reliable pull. Absolutely, and we don't know. I mean, we don't we don't understand how difficult it was as a as a you know, as, as an athlete behind manual drivers. I mean, again, you heard the name J.D. Wiswell. That poor guy, he, he almost never wanted to get in the boat when he was here because once he got in, it was nearly impossible for him to get out because everybody wanted J.D. to drive or Chris Sullivan because we knew the guys that were that really knew what they were doing driving and then we knew who really kind of didn't. And you needed that consistency and control that the really good drivers had, right? So, man, I mean, you talk about leveling a playing field for, as you said, young people coming up that don't have access to great drivers or people who know what's going on. All over the world, we just leveled things. Indeed. All right, I've got a couple more questions to ask you, but at the same time I'm asking the questions, there's a pack of cards there and you can you can shuffle through them and select a few. I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask me five questions. You know, I'm, you know I've been announcing a long time. I'm, at, I'm used to asking people questions and I want to give uh, give some of our athletes the the opportunity to to kind of turn the tables as it were. But let's go back to the kids. I mean, uh, I mean, we obviously mentioned Matthew Greenwood in re in respect to Zero Off. Now let's go with your kids, uh, Ridge and uh, Dash. Dash. Yep. Who uh, who who are developing as skiers? I think they actually learned how to jump last year. Is that right? Yes. Um, so let's see. I'm I'm a little. You know, I got to think about this a little bit for Dash. Ridge was very much the driving force of, so my younger one at the time he was six, he was, I mean, from the time he got up on a skimboard, he'd point at the ramp. He wanted to go over a ramp. Dash was always, you know, kind of, uh, I mean, he was always into it. He loved riding in the boat to watch Jumper that, but he never really, you know, hey, take me over there. I want to go run into that thing. Um, so Ridge, when Ridge was four, I actually started letting him go over to the corner of the jump and just feeling it out and riding his skis. Um, Dash was just a, no, nah, I'm good to slalom. And, you know, he just kind of focused on a slalom scheme, which we were happy with because, you know, that's, I feel like slalom, the younger you can start and learn, the better. Um, so last year, Ridge uh, started going, you know, a little further, further up the corner. Um, Dash kind of started doing it a little bit. And then we had one day, and I mean, it was, it was like a Saturday morning. I wake up, I come up for breakfast, and I can, Karen's just poking the boys a little bit about, not going over the top of the jump. And she's really kind of poking dash. And I was like, where is this coming from? Like, I like what conversation happened before I got up here or whatever, but I didn't say much about it. So we went to go out and, and uh, go over the jump. And I, I talked to Ridge and I said, hey, do you want to go a little further up the jump? You know, like get up closer to the top. I'll go with you and, you know, kind of hold your vest and keep, make sure you're safe. So I did that with Ridge and we got about three quarters of the weight up. Dash got excited about it. He came, went about three quarters of the way up. 
Ridge wanted to go again. And this time Ridge went and he put one ski over the, you know, right over the corner, one ski on each side of it. So one ski's off the top and one ski's not. And I was doing an awful lot of carrying the weight when wow. we landed, but he rode it away. And, and I mean, with, and I have, I think I was leaving on a trip or whatever, but I mean, Dash is sending me texts, you know, when do you come home? I want to jump. When are we? And then it was just like this ball got rolling. Wow. And, um, you know, there was, there were so many cute and amazing stories that happened and they almost qualified for nationals and then they didn't. And that was a blessing in disguise. But, you know, we finished up the year, uh, Ridge jumped, uh, maybe like 37, 36, 37 feet. And, and Dash actually went 57 feet on a single cut with no gas from the boat. You know, he's on letter a, um, you know, which I don't know for a lot of people that may not sound fine, but to go from never even going over the top of the jump to 57 feet that quick uh blew my mind and he does that to me a lot like he's dashes someone who he's just not that interested in something he's not that interested in something and then all of a sudden he's he's kind of all in and he goes very aggressive and you know he, he's doing it with the stuff he does on the trampoline and that and he's becoming a bit, a bit of a circus freak isn't he? a little bit yeah but but he you know he's still even now today you know he's 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 not practicing his, his you know he's not riding his skis that much he's not you know he's gonna want to jump he's gonna and he's good but he's not he he loves the tournaments he's not that much into the practice whereas ridge it's like he loves that day-to-day -day grind and i mean he's out there riding his skis and he's you know going over the ramp and he, now he's working on his tricking so it's they're they're different uh personalities which obviously keeps it fun and is a lot of fun and for a kid that wants to go over the ramp all the time maybe a little bit of like january 1995 has to come into the play you know to ride the skis a little bit more rather than hit the ramp well and that's he, we've had that conversation and and you know one of the things that i feel like um my parents uh, it was unfortunate it was a bit of a tragedy but when i was uh, about eight years old i had a my best friend at the time broke his leg jumping uh was in a full body cast for six seven weeks he came out when he came out of the hospital room we had another kid in our club broke his leg he went into the exact same room they were literally in the same room as each other um so when that happened my parents kind of tapped the brakes and said yeah you know maybe you don't need to be jumping so much and so i had to uh i think i had to slalom and trick twice before i was allowed to jump i was only able to go over the jump on wednesdays and then on the weekend if we had a tournament so they really kind of held me back but again kind of a weird effect that holding me back made me want it even more so i spent time thinking about it and dreaming about it and you know it was just always in my mind kind of like feeding the bear exactly right so we're doing you know we're kind of doing the same thing with with dash in terms of right now it, he's not even thinking about three quarters or whatever but we're going to go to a tournament and he's going to see somebody three quarter and i'm going to have that opportunity to say you're not ready for that but here's the path that'll get you there this is the work you've got to put in and if you if he sees that end goal that I do this work I'll get to three quarter, <laughs> he'll get there in record time. But um, you know we just I gotta let him go through that. I'm I'm not a big fan of pushing a kid into something that they're either not ready for or isn't gonna be internally driven. Especially with jumping because I think you said in the video that I mean if you were if you do if you come up short on the turn or you're too late and you hit the side curtain it your career's over right and well and, and i mean again as, as a kid you know we karen talks about all the time that you know their brains aren't fully developed right you know that i mean that doesn't happen until you're 26 27 years old they're 
I always people always say to me that you know oh your your kids must be fearless and and I I I cringe when I hear that because my kids they they have all the healthy fear that they need that my my kids are not fearless I am not fearless every single time I put on a pair of jumpers I am nervous I am I mean I get it's you know anybody says that they're not scared they either ain't trying or they're lying because if you're going out there and you're pushing yourself if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing you're pushing yourself to be uncomfortable so my kids get that i mean i, I watch dash you know even double backflips or double fronts that he's they're getting you know as, as he would say easy for him now i still see you know the approach of how it's work he's working up to you know being a little bit scared of it right so that's i think that's what's healthy and i think that's you've got to keep that in their life all right then so we're at the end of me asking you questions so uh, so Freddie is shuffling through some of the uh, the cards from the from the black interview deck uh, these questions brought to you by pod decks and uh, so I'm I'm I've got four here I'm uh, kind of working through these and I'm going I I can imagine Freddie winter was probably pretty hard on you about with some of these right he was but he but he drew from another deck so oh, uh, really? yes, oh, you he did. gave him a different deck that's hilarious yes indeed um I'm actually going to ask you some questions that I think you'll give me good insight on. I tell you what, I mean, if you could just see the smile across Freddie's face well, right, right now. So I, one of the things I'm, I'm enjoying as I get older is everybody's got a story, right? Yes. And so one of the things that I enjoy is I, I think you're an amazing storyteller. But we don't often hear a lot about your stories. And so some of these I'm hoping will will kind of lead to stories. So I'm, I don't know if I picked the right ones or not. But... I feel like there would be a story behind the question. What's the best piece of advice advice you've ever been given? Wow, uh, that would just. I think the best piece of advice is to be is to be yourself and to be genuine on the mic. You know, I mean, I mean, if I mean, if you're emotional about a certain event or a certain thing that's happened, just just go with it. You know, because I mean, it'll be the easiest thing to transfer in terms of, of enthusiasm, you know? So who, and who gave you, like who, who gave you those types of advice? Like, was it one person? Was it multiple people? Just multiple people, really. Yeah. I mean, no one person, you know, but I mean, I think they saw something in me. I don't, I don't know if I've been true to their expectations, but you try, you try your best every day. Well, to your point, right? Like if you're, if you're doing what they said and being true to yourself, then I assure you, you've lived up to their expectation, right? Like yes. that's, that's the tricky thing about that is, are they their expectations or ours? But if you did what they said, you mm. met their expectations. Okay. Um, if you could ask one person one question and they had to answer truthfully, who and what would you ask? Oh my word! That it that that would that would almost that would almost go into the category of asking like a supernatural being or any or anything like anything like that. You know that that takes. Well, let's keep it. Let's keep it. Real person, they have to be alive. Real person, anything you want, but it's, it's got to be feasible. Okay, right? give me the question again. All right, question was, if you could ask one person one question and they had to answer truthfully, who and what would you ask? Okay, uh, Neville Chamberlain, who was the Prime Minister of uh, Great Britain before, uh, around at the turn of World War II, and uh, basically ask him what was he like, and he being... Fira. Okay. 
that's uh, it's funny you go there because that's what I was thinking about. You know, like like there's so many there. I don't know exactly who I would ask, but there's questions about 9/11, right, in our country, right? Or, yeah. So I, I figured you'd be an educated man and go to to something along those lines. So that's awesome. Uh, if you were to die tomorrow, what little thing would you regret not doing? Maybe. I mean, this is a difficult one because probably the last thing I'll do would probably cause my demise, but I mean, probably skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be on the list, right? Um, so you'd like to do it? You'd like to skydive? I'd love to skydive. You know, I actually interviewed a few a few people over the phone for the TWBC podcast and asked, uh, you know, what's on their bucket list. And a few of them did actually go with skydiving, close second scuba diving, but uh, but yeah. Boy, that's two. I, I, I can I can see the uh, obviously the attraction to both of those, right? Because I mean, scuba diving is like being in another world, and yeah. Um, but man, that's a that's a different. I would think that's a different. Uh, it feels like two different categories, right? Like but yeah, but you have to go through some kind of discipline training, and I know that Will Asher has gotten through that kind of training to become certified as a, as a scuba diver himself. You know, so yeah. I mean, um, and I know that my father. Uh, became a scuba diver several several years ago it's been a while since he's done it but yeah but skydiving i'd love to give it a try but i'll probably faint almost as soon as i get out the plane <laughs> have somebody pull your ripcord for you yeah all right so what's the favorite thing you you've bought this year favorite favorite thing that i bought this year let's and we'll i'll give you a full 12 months Okay. All right. Favorite thing that I bought this year is that 2019 VW Passat that's uh, that's parked outside. Nice. Yes. Nice. Nice. All right. I felt like this one would be fitting for the last question. If you could send a message to the entire world, what would you say in 30 seconds? In 30 seconds, uh, it, it would probably be very short and very very succinct, you know. But I mean, it would be. It'll be some. It'll be something in, uh, inspiring, you know. Uh, just, just try to do well by each other, you know, and uh, and and just re and just really be. I don't know. That's a really difficult one. If we're being honest, I mean, one thing to to in to inspire the whole world in the space of thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that would almost that would almost be like Armageddon, wouldn't it? Like. You know, like a meteor is about to destroy the planet Earth, and it's called upon the president, you know, to basically, yeah. you know, or the apocalypse or anything like that. You know, I, I think what's interesting right now in the world is if you think about, think about pre-COVID, the number of stories about war, mm. that, you know, people fighting and killing and you know all that. And so, right, like that message would be maybe that message would be. You know, like you said, yeah. consulting or, or loving. Can't we all just get along? With how little have we heard about? I mean, we're not hearing about wars and people. I mean, we're not even hearing that. And I hate to say this out loud. I don't. I don't want to jinx it. So, knock on wood, right? We're not hearing about the terrorist attacks and like a lot of the violence. Yeah, has subsided because we're all we all got to be rowing in the same direction to get through COVID. Right? And to get that vaccine out. Yeah. Right. So we. Isn't that like so? I mean, you you almost wonder like how the message the message we might choose to to send today, if I only had thirty seconds, might be very different than the message I would give in thirty seconds once we recover from this. I'm hoping if I can only say something in thirty seconds, I'm hoping that the the attitude of getting along and and peace and a little bit more love 
understanding grace for each other. Maybe we could carry that on once we get past COVID. You know, I don't know. Well, I tell you what, that was that was long, that was deep, that was that was that was remarkable. Thanks a lot for your time, uh, Freddy Krueger. It's been an absolute privilege and uh, very very educational. So, is there anything you'd want to say before we press press stop on the recorder? Uh, you know, I, I appreciate anybody tuning in. Um, you know, have fun with your uh, skiing this year. I, I do want to thank Jay Bennett and, and Mastercraft for bringing us out this weekend and, and giving you know obviously you and i this opportunity but me this opportunity to be with the people we were with uh karen and the boys and my my folks obviously are a huge part of my life and i thank them so uh, looking forward to seeing some people on the sides of the lake out there Whoa, that was an interview and a half uh, kudos to freddie uh, for participating and a big shout out to all of you who listened to this latest episode if you have any comments uh, be sure to email me at podcast at waterskibroadcasting.com. Once again, that's podcast at waterskibroadcasting.com. The next episode will be around before you know it, but in the meantime, take care and stay safe. Thank you for listening to the TWBC podcast. Be sure to check out our website at waterskibroadcasting.com. Links to our presence on major social media platforms can be found there, as well as updates to our webcast and this podcast. Duplication or rebroadcasting of this broadcast without written consent of TWBC is prohibited. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us next time for the next edition of the TWBC Podcast.